Well, um, I, I listened to a little bit of Becky's uh, talk from last week and um, heard her talking a little bit about being in Idaho with our family. And, and it was definitely a different year this year. We, we typically take a little bit of a week at a time and have our own space. And this year on our vacation, we kind of all landed on top of each other. And we had a great time. It was my parents' 50th anniversary earlier in the summer, as many of you know. And, but we kind of celebrated that. And, and we had a blast. And as I heard Becky mention, we had a blast and a blast from the past. We saw a lot of people that came to visit and uh, folks that were telling me, you know, I was your second grade Sunday school teacher. And uh, it, it made me, I, I don't remember them, to be honest. So second grade Sunday school teachers just uh, face the facts. You may not be remembered in 30 years. But can I say this? Your investment, I, 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 don't, I don't remember the lady, but my life has been shaped dramatically because of her investment in me. So while I may not remember her uh, personally, uh, my life has been shaped in a new way. So, um, and, and just to see a lot of different people that I did remember, uh, the, the temptation, I was telling some folks this morning, I was known as Jamie for the first 12 years of my life. And, uh, and so most of these people that were from where we had, when we had lived in Idaho, they were all looking at me, and they knew that I had begun to go by James in the latter years now of my life, but they were looking at me, and I could see the confused look on their face. Like, what do I call you? And so I got a lot of, hi, Jamie. So I just gave them all permission. Just call me whatever you want, and uh, the same holds true for, for you folks here today. I think... Hallie was asking me, Hallie was asking me that same thing. Pastor James, Pastor James is just a little too long to say, what else can we call you? And uh, PJ works, uh, Jimmy K, I think is another one. Anyway, good time. Uh, when we weren't hanging out, though, with, with family or doing a, you know, an anniversary party or down on the dock, uh, we were probably doing what many of you were doing. We were probably just doing a little bit more because we were on vacation, but we were watching the Olympics. And uh, I hope that some of you got to watch the Olympics, at least portions of it. We got to see some great athletes, some great personalities emerge again onto the uh, world scene. Uh, of course, Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt and some of these folks, um, Gabby Douglas, Missy Franklin, some of these just amazing uh, just people, really, not just the athletic feats, but of course, it's all about the backstory, right? So we got to see all about their lives and had a great time. It's, a, it's really, you know, I was, was kind of thinking, wow, and, and I watched part of the closing ceremonies and the guy said, uh, you know, I call on the youth of the world to again gather in 2016 uh, for the Summer Olympics. And I was like, man, we got to wait a whole other four years to watch those folks again. But I think that's probably what makes it uh, special in a way is that it only comes every four years. Now, there is a, um, uh, we're starting a new um, series today. Uh, I'm, I'm just calling it this. Darren, you can go ahead and put that, that slide. I'm calling it Dear Mr. President, Our Promises to You. Um, because there is another uh, um, thing that happens every four years or so. And, uh, and it's happening again this year. The, the Olympics are probably a little bit more enjoyable for a wider population, uh, breadth of the population. But, but what's happening as well uh, with our presidential election uh, is also yeah, significant in, in the political world and for many people. And uh, ready or not, 
our, our TVs and our newspapers and lives are about to get overwhelmed by these national uh, party conventions, right? These, as I read in the paper this week, these televised pep rallies, basically. Uh, and and uh, I think the Republicans are going to gather in Florida at the end of August and the Democrats in North Carolina in September. Um, and the primary purpose of the convention, as far as I understand it, is to kind of unite the party around their particular presidential candidate and kind of get everybody aligned and, and pumped up with the platform, a lot of speeches, a lot of banners. Uh, hopefully we'll see some funny hats on adults. I remember when I was a kid, you know, my parents would be watching these party conventions and I would be thinking to myself, why are those grown-ups acting so silly? And uh, I don't know if they do it as much anymore, but, but that's something else that we'll get to see. And uh, again, just in case you haven't noticed, the arrival of the conventions also means that the presidential election is, uh, is also just right around the corner. Now, I was thinking about this because um, the Olympics uh, have given us a bit of a reprieve, you know, from, from some of the national political talk. Um, Idaho is a very political state, very interesting to me, and pretty much everyone that I talk to outside of our family necessarily, or just people that I would meet, sooner or later, the conversation would get political. And it was always a joy to me to just kind of turn it right back to the Olympics. Well, what about Usain Bolt though, huh? Wasn't he good? Um, it gives us a little bit of a reprieve, but now that they're over, we're kind of right back uh, to business as usual. All the candidates are going back and forth over major and minor issues that we might say, and the media is looking for any um, bit of news they can sink their, their, their teeth into to sell more advertising space, to sell more newspapers, whatever it might be. And, and the conventions, you know, they're going to be, um, we're going to be hearing, if you watch, we're going to be hearing all sorts of speeches, touting all different kinds of plans, and uh, we're going to hear the support uh, folks kind of coming along and talking about how great their candidate is. And we're going to hear all sorts of campaign promises, right? And we've already begun to hear a lot of campaign promises from the presidential uh, candidates. Campaign promises. Let's just talk about this for, for one second. I think I ran for class president in the fifth grade on a platform of longer recesses, of course. <laughs> I mean, what else do you, pro I, you know, and, and the trend continues. In, in high school, you run for president and, you know, more dances. Okay, yeah, vote for me. Uh, maybe in college, it's lower fees. You know, that's what, that's what we, and, and we are good, or candidates for elected office are good at making promises. It's, it's well documented. I, I was even um, reading that great source of information, Wikipedia, and uh, it says this of campaign promises. They are central elements of elections. And then a little bit later on it said, and it's all, they're also notable for being broken once a politician is in office. Campaign promises were, in a sense, if you really think about it, made to be broken. Think about the main promises that, that presidents make. I'm giving you all a little bit of a, maybe a, Presidential 101 here, but you all, most of you already know this. But think of the main promises that presidents make. We're going we're gonna to lower taxes. We're going to increase programs. 
and we're going to balance the budget. <laughs> One of those, at least, has to go. You cannot really practically do all three. And so typically, a uh, 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 president, once he gets into office, uh, will break at least one of those promises. They won't lower taxes, they'll actually raise them, or they won't increase programming because they haven't raised the taxes to do it, or several presidents have just kind of said that whole balancing the budget thing, yeah, so much for that. They were kind of made to be broken in a sense, these campaign promises, and many others that we kind of get sucked into thinking, oh, this is going to be great, and uh, then not so much. Um, so I begin to think about the promises that candidates make to, to, over these next few weeks and the promises that will be broken. And I wondered, what about the president? Whoever it may be, and I'm just kind of, I'm not directing this dear Mr. President toward necessarily our current, but toward whoever may be our, our next president and even any president in years to come. What about the president? What, what kind of um, promises are ever made to the president. We're, we're very eager to hear his promises to us and what he's going to do for us, but does anybody ever make any promises for the president? President, I promise to do this or, or that. Does anybody ever make any promises to any political leaders, really, or do we just expect them to make promises to us? And it struck me as I was thinking about this that if anybody is in the position to make promises to a political leader, an elected official, to a president, then it is those of us who call ourselves the church. It's those of us who call ourselves the people of God. Those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. For you see, the Bible gives us some really clear instruction and it gives us some really great examples of how people have made promises and how we are to make promises and how we are to interact with government authorities if we will be not only hearers of the word, but actually doers of the word. What is especially amazing about these promises, as you'll see, is that they're applicable to the president or to the elected official, whether you agree with that person or not. In fact, as you look at the biblical instructions, they, they actually, I think, they get a little more fun when you don't agree with the, with the candidate or with the president or with the elected official. A little more challenging, um, for sure, and, and definitely more fun. But my... Uh, my, my idea here over these next few weeks is to talk to us about the promises, then, that Scripture calls on us to make to the president, to make to the elected officials that are all around us. Whoever it is who wins, he is the recipient of these promises. So, the, the, the first promise I want us to look at this morning just jumps directly from the text in Scripture. It's from 1 Timothy Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And if you have a Bible, I'd love to have you turn there. Just grab one of those Bibles out from in the front of you. Open it up. Timothy is towards the back, 1 Timothy. It's, uh, you can kind of get to the Thessalonians. If you get to Titus, you've gone too far. 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. 
We're going to be looking at it a little bit after that's down, so uh, I'm not kidding when I say grab one of those Bibles in front of you. But let's all stand. Let me read it for you, all right? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I'll read it, and then I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you can all respond by saying, if you believe it, that is, thanks be to God. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. Just leave it there for a second, Darren. Can you go back to that? Just shift, shift space bar, I think, so we'll get you back. Let's read this together, can we? All together. One, two, three. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. All right, keep going. Who wants all men to be saved. I'll just read this part, I'm sorry. And to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Good words, my friends. Challenging words for us all. It's clear to us from this passage of Scripture, though, that without a doubt, uh, at least one of, if not the first and most urgent promises that we are called to make to our president, to any political or elected official, government authority, is that we will, what? Pray for them. Say it with me. Pray for them. Did you see it there in the Scriptures? Uh, Paul actually uses four different words to speak of the kinds of prayers that we should offer. He talks about requests and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving. And he actually uh, kind of begins this instruction on prayer there in verse 1 uh, by saying that we're to offer these prayers. But for everyone. Did you see that at the end of verse uh, 1? It says, pray these kinds of prayers for everyone. Basically, we could summarize verse 1 of this, of this little section. And Paul is saying, pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. Don't stop praying. Just pray, Paul seems to be saying. And then he narrows it down, though. He gets a little more specific when he talks about um, the kind of prayer for kings and, and uh, all those in authority. It seems to me that when we start to talk about prayer for government leaders, for presidents, uh, for elected officials, maybe the most important form of prayer that we can use for our president and in this case, is, is the one he talks about that's known as intercession. And uh, I think you can put that up there, Darren, that, that next slide. Intercession, the promise, a promise to pray. Um, to intercede for someone, I think many of you know what that means, but to intercede for someone simply means to kind of stand in the gap for that person, to, to represent, to be a person who kind of mediates between two people, who represents one person to the other, who again, stands in the gap and, and takes responsibility for someone else to another person. Uh, if if uh, my son Thomas does something wrong and he's afraid to talk to me about it himself, sometimes he will uh, send his sister or she will just take responsibility because she likes to do that kind of stuff. And, and, and she will come and intercede on his behalf to me or to my wife Kyla representing them, or if they've done something well, even. I mean, it doesn't have to be good or bad. Just, 
just being that middle person that represents one person to the other. This is what it means to, to intercede, to be an intercessor. And when we talk about prayer then, what we're talking about in praying as, as interceding, it means to represent someone, another person, not just praying for ourselves. And sometimes, especially, it can mean to intercede for people that we might not even know, but to intercede for another to God. To be that person. Listen, my friends, this is exciting stuff. If you're wondering about how it's ever exciting to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. To be invited, to be called, to be allowed to be an intercessor for somebody else between them and God. To be the person who would stand in the gap. And we've all heard stories, right? And you've had things happen to you because other people have been intercessors for you. We interceded for the teens and for the people that were in Costa Rica. I know many of you were interceding on my behalf while we were on vacation. I know that we, you've had grandmothers that have interceded for you, and that's why you're here today, right? You, you've interceded for your grandkids. Or you're in the process of interceding for a friend, bringing them to God in prayer. And this is a, this is a, a, a role, an assignment, an invitation that we dare not take lightly. There's some people who will not be prayed for, potentially, if you don't do it, if you're not their intercessor. And so I just want to elevate this because what I'm getting to is this fact is that we have been invited, according to Paul, according to Scripture, to be this kind of an intercessor, not only for our grandchildren, not only for our close friends, not only for our, our, our neighbor. We've been invited to be an intercessor for our government authorities, for our political leaders, for our president. Um, Paul calls us to do this work. Paul was writing, let me just tell you, Paul was writing in a day when the government, I mean, you, you think we have it bad from time to time with some of our government authorities. Um, Paul was writing in an era where they were ruled by Roman emperors who were not nice people. This particular letter was most likely written during the time of Emperor Nero, who was famous for the persecution and even death that he brought against Christians. And here is Paul saying, intercede for this person. Pray. Especially, it seems to be, pray for this person. This is the invitation that he gives to us. And, and, uh, and the context of the, letter, of the letter seems to indicate that there were some, uh, there were some false teachers in, in Ephesus where, where Paul was where Timothy was doing his work, and Paul was trying to help him here. And it appears from chapter 1 that there were some false teachers who, who, according to what Paul is saying here, may have been saying things like this. Pray for the people who you like. Pray for the people who are close to you. Pray for the people who are in the church. Just pray for the people who you want to pray for. And what does Paul offer? A resounding no to that theology. He offers a resounding no. Pray, you heard it, verse 1, pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people and especially now your government leaders. We can slip into that kind of prayer a lot, can't we? We just pray for those people who are all right around us, those people that we know have a particular need, those people that are close to us. And, and the invitation here is to broaden 
our, our prayer to pray for everyone, especially for these leaders. Why are we to pray? Well, Paul goes on to give us a couple of reasons here. Um, the, the answer is not so that we can get what we want in the political arena. That, I'll just kind of, you know, pull that one out right now. The answer is not we pray so that everything might go exactly how I think it should in the world of politics and government. That, that is not the reason that Paul gives for us to pray for our political leaders. But he gives a couple other really important uh, reasons for our prayer. Look there again at verse 2. This isn't on the screen. Just look in your, in your Bible. Hopefully you have close by. For kings and all those in, th- those in authority. And he says it like this, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, at first, as I read this, at first I thought this seems like a really kind of selfish reason for praying. Pray for our government, pray for our political leaders so that I won't ever have any trouble or problems. You know, that's what, on on the service, it kind of pray for them so everything is just going to go great for me. But it seems, he seems to be making a connection here that is much, much deeper than that. And that it seems to me that he's saying, um, pray in this way so that your life will be shaped in a new way that reflects a deep reverence for God, a deep holiness, and a deep godliness. Um, when we, I think the point that he's trying to get is this. When we fill ourselves or when we are agitated or uh, aggressive or angry about government and politics... Uh, I talked about this a few weeks ago, actually. What do we turn into? We turn into angry and agitated and aggressive people. When, when, that has that to, when it has that effect on us, that's how we become. And what Paul is saying here, when we reverse that trend, when we reverse that practice, and instead of becoming angry and agitated and aggressive when we think about government leaders and politicians and presidents, Instead, when we pray, when we take seriously that role of being an intercessor, then something different begins to happen in us. I think that first slide, Darren, or that next slide, our prayers and then the next one produce peace. This is really, I think, what Paul's getting at. When we pray in this way, then peace is produced. Holiness, godliness, these kinds of things are produced not only around us, but in us. We become, this is again kind of a a blessing for us as we pray, that as we pray, we (laughs) reap the benefits. We become more peaceful people. We become more loving people. We become more holy people. We become more godly people. And not only is this important for, for us and the changes that it's making for us, but you're following me, right? This is important for how we are a witness in the world. If Christians who are called by the name of Jesus, who are called to live lives that are filled with grace and compassion and love, are instead living lives in the world and even in the political arena that are filled with agitation and anger and aggressiveness, then what kind of a witness is that? We need to pray so that our hearts might be changed and softened so that our witness might be effective in the world. That makes sense? Kind of quiet in here, but uh, that's, that's all right. When our prayers shape us in this way, we become people who are filled with peace, people who demonstrate what it is to live a godly life. Again, it's possible, in fact, probable, most scholars think that 
not only were these false teachers saying only pray for these kinds of people, but they were also being critical and, 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 and maybe rising, raising uh, support against the government authorities of the day. And, and Paul is responding to them really here in this chapter, rebuking that kind of, of behavior and saying, you're, you're winning us no points in the world. You're winning no points for the gospel by the way that you're living. No, instead, be shaped, peaceful, loving, holy, godly people. The, the second kind of benefit that he talks about here, the second reason why we ought to pray, though, is, is how he goes on there in verse 3. Let me read it. And I had you read it with me together. It just simply says this. This is, why should we pray? This is good. And it pleases God, our Savior. And then verse 4, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You can put that next one up. Please, God. Why, why do we pray? Because our prayers... I, don't, I can't make this any more simple. I put it in black and white for us, but I can't make this any more simple. Uh, our prayers for government leaders, our heartfelt intercessory prayers, whether you agree with the leader or not, make God happy. They please God. They, they bring a smile to his face. Why? Well, I think one of the reasons why it makes God happy is because our prayers to him uh, demonstrate that we're dependent on him and not on that particular political leader or any government authority for that matter, ultimately. We're dependent on him, and we go to him first. They make God happy. It pleases God. Um, it pleases him as well because, as verse 4 went on to say, God is very interested in the salvation of people. In fact, I think we could say without too much hesitation here this morning that God's greatest will is that people would be saved. If you wonder what God's will is for your life, it's number one, that you would be saved, that you would know his salvation. And I think this is what Paul's getting at here, that it pleases God when we pray because, and when we, not only when we actually say the words of prayer, but when our hearts are shaped in a new way because he knows that when we're people of prayer and that's affecting the way we interact in the political arena, then we become greater witnesses for him that will serve that ultimate end of more people coming to know who Jesus truly is and having their lives transformed by his saving grace. It pleases God when we live in such a way that, that promotes the gospel. We, it pleases God when we live in such a way that, that God is, is glorified, that the name of Jesus is lifted up, that the, the love and grace of God is, is demonstrated in powerful ways. It pleases God. Now, I, I have to say this. Um, those are great reasons to please God with our prayers. But uh, the, the other thing that he says, it's very intriguing that he refers to um, God as our Savior. Not a typical way of speaking about God. We talk about Jesus, our Savior, perhaps. But here he makes a very sp an, an intentional and specific description of God as our Savior. You know what I think he's wanting to do there? I think he's wanting to say... Um, If for no other reason, then we ought to pray for our government authorities because um, this God who it pleases, uh, by the way, he's your savior. He has given everything for you. He has Without God, you wouldn't be here at all to do and say what you're doing. And so 
as, as a, simply a means of gratitude, as simply a means of, of appreciation, as simply a means of obedience to this God who has given so much for us, who has saved us, Paul seems to be saying, pray. Take serious your role as an intercessor because it pleases God. It produces peace. Again, those that were likely bringing a black mark to the church's name. And uh, Paul's saying, don't be like those folks. Um, we, we pray for our leaders. Uh, we're, we're, we're being made new in the process, and we're serving God's ultimate end. Now, why do we pray? These are the reasons. What do we pray? I just want to give you three quick ideas, and these are going to be quick, I promise. But if you're not sure um, what to pray for, if, if, if every time you close your eyes or get on your knees to pray for the president um, and whoever the new president might be, all you can think about are his policies and how much you disagree with them and, and how you would do it if you were in that position, uh, if, then, then let me give you just three quick things that hopefully you can come back to and, and that, can, that can help you as you pray uh, in this season. I, I encourage us to be praying even for the both of the major candidates as they're entering into this season of, uh, of conventions and the election. But uh, I went on a website the other day, and they had like 30 different ways that you can pray for our political and government leaders. I'm just going to give you three. Um, let's pray, of course, uh, number one, for discernment. Let's pray that, that our government leaders would, and in particular, our president, whether you think that the president really has much of an impact on your life or not, let's pray that this person has discernment as, as the political leader of our country. Discernment, just, you know, understanding. And, and let's pray as Christians, it's okay to do this, let's pray as Christians that our president would have the discernment of God. Even whether he's clearly aware of that or not, I think I can say. The discernment, the understanding of God. Not just the best uh, political advice that he gets from his counselors. Not just the best uh, things that he can learn from history. All that as well. But let's pray that our president can, can have the wisdom, really, from God. I don't know. I mean, I'm on my vacation, you know, and I land back here, and I'm just the pastor of a church, and you've got your own responsibilities and assignments, and you know, I didn't have to make too many decisions for a couple of weeks. It was kind of nice. Should we eat at 7 o'clock or 7.30? And uh, it was kind of nice. And I land back here, and suddenly, you know, there's some more decisions to be made, and you kind of got to ramp up. What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? Well, Pastor James, what about this? Well, how about this? And suddenly, I'm in, you know, decision overload. And, uh, and I just, I know that many of you maybe do really well in those circumstances. Others maybe don't do so well. But just consider the president of the United States for just a moment. And all the decisions, not only about uh, for the country, but about their own personal decisions. Um, let's pray for that. And let's also pray that, that the president would be discerning in terms of, 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 of understanding how um, he can act in ways that would be helpful for God and his mission. Again, the president might not always understand that completely, hopefully, at some level, whoever the president might be, but have some discernment as to what might be best for God 
and his mission, even in our country. I I don't think that's a bad prayer to pray. God, give give our president discernment to to help your mission in the world. Um, Let's let's pray not only for discernment, let's pray for for, uh, courage. (laughs) Pray for courage for our president because these two always go hand in hand. If you pray for discernment, you got to pray for courage to be able to do what you think God is telling you to do. Uh, there, there may be a president from time to time who has and who will know exactly what to do, but because of the political pressures or because of the things that, the fallout that may occur, he may know exactly what to do, but he won't do it or she won't do it because of, uh, again, that fallout. The courage. Let's pray for our president to have the courage to make the decisions that are best, not only for our country, but as we pray, best for what God is wanting to accomplish in the world. And then the last one is just this. Let's pray for faith. I, I, I know um, this is an interesting year in terms of faith and our presidential candidates. I'm not going to say a whole lot more about that unless you want to take me out to lunch or something, but this is a, uh, let's just say that. This is an interesting year. Can we leave it at that in terms of the faith of both of our primary presidential candidates? And there would be I'll add a little bit more. There would be some questions. There would be some concerns that different Christians would have, and I think rightly so, for, for potentially for both of these candidates. Um, but instead of kind of standing back and getting into the seat of judgment about either of these presidential candidates as to what their faith may or may not consist of, what if we as a church decided to pray simply as intercessors, God, would you increase the faith of that president, whoever it is, in you? Would you grow in them a faith that maybe they've never known before? Would you grow in them an appreciation and even a love and an openness to who you are? Would you grow in them a, a conviction of a need for a daily personal relationship with you? I, nothing wrong with praying like that. In fact, that's, I think, one of our greatest invitations as intercessors that we would pray as opposed to being in the seat of judgment as we so often slip into as our, as our culture is prone to do, to step into the place of prayer and intercession instead um, for discernment, for courage, for faith. Well, prayer, this is the, uh, the first of our promises. I've got two more promises that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. Um, but I don't want to move on from this place today. Prayer is always one of those things that's easy to talk about and a little harder to do. Um, so I want us actually to take just the next few moments. And uh, I hope this isn't awkward for anybody. If it is, I'm sorry. And uh, I know you'll forgive me at some point. But I want us to get together with two or three other people right around you. And no, this is not time to leave. So, uh, but um, um, I want you to get, around, get with two or three other people around you. You may be of completely different political persuasions. That's all the better, actually. Uh, you may just have, you may be completely apathetic. You may be a teenager and you'd be like, who's running? You know, um, something like that. Or, or you may not even be American today. I'm not, maybe there's some people who aren't even uh, citizens. But whatever the case, um, this is, uh, it, we cannot talk about praying without praying. So what I want you to do is get together with just two or three other people. And I want you to spend uh, five minutes or less. 
It's fine if it's less. Just when you're done, just sit quietly as the others finish. I just want you to pray for these things, all right? I, I want you to pray for discernment. I want you to pray for courage. I want you to pray for faith. Why don't you go ahead and pray for, for uh, Romney and for Obama? Why don't you pray for Mitt and Barack, as we like to call them? And uh, just pray for both of them at this point, would you? And uh, as, as practice, really, as rehearsal for how we will continue to pray in the days to come. And in a couple minutes or a few minutes, I'll just kind of bring us back together with a prayer of my own. Uh, but let's take some moment now. Just on the count of three, ready, go. One, two, three, go. And don't talk about it. I've already done all the talking. All you need to do is pray. All right? All you need to do is pray. Just launch in. Courage, discernment, faith. As you finish your prayers, just stand with me if you would. God, we thank You that You are our Savior. We thank You that through Your Word uh, that we've heard again today, we, we have been invited into the role of intercessor. This is, this is a responsibility that we don't take lightly, God. We want to be people who don't take it lightly. We need You to help us not to take it lightly. We want to be people who are willing, God, as Your Spirit enables us to shoulder the responsibility of being an intercessor, not only for those we know and we love, but for those in government, those in political authority, for our president. Standing in the gap between them and You, God. Bringing them and their needs to You. We want to be people, God, who believe in prayer. We want to be people, God, as Your Spirit shapes us again, who believe that the words that we have just prayed even make a difference, that they, that they, they, they move You in some sense, and they, they find alignment with what Your perfect will is, God, and they, they, they move uh, heaven and earth in, in some way. We want to be people, God, who, who accept that responsibility and who step into it with boldness and with great hope. We want to be people, God, who please you. And so we, we will take this with great seriousness. And, and God, I'm believing that even as we have prayed in these few moments here that we've began, as we've been thinking about this, that perhaps even some of us have begun to have this sense within us that we're, that we're being shaped in new ways, that we're, we're becoming more peaceful people, more holy even, more reverential of who you are, God. It, we're thankful for the change that it can make even in us and for the way that it pleases you. And, and God, together, you've heard our prayers. You've heard our prayers for these candidates. We would broaden it to every political leader, government authority, even our police officers and others who are in authority over us. God, we would just broaden these prayers of discernment, of courage, of faith. Lord Jesus, we pray for revival among our government authorities. We don't think it's any way beyond you, God, to bring about renewal and spiritual vitality and life and ears that would hear and hearts that would be open to your leadership, God. We pray for transformation. We do pray for the personal faith of both of the candidates for president. We pray, God, that you, through your son Jesus, would be more alive and more real to them than you've ever been. And that they would know the impact of that even in the daily decisions that they're making. God, make us people 
Help us to be people. Even when their promises are broken to us, we never break our promise to you and to them to be people of prayer. We worship you and we give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.